Oh, a couple of months ago, uh, we had a surprise package in the post. Um, uh, and my auntie Sue had bought us um, membership for the National Trust, which is great. And uh, if we could have the thing up. There it is. And I thought, how wonderful. We have a national book of trust. Uh, or rather, a book of national trust. Isn't that amazing? I thought, how exciting. I can open up this book and I can find trustworthy things. And then my heart sank as I realised, oh, hang on, there's a date on it. It's the Book of National Trust for 2022. So it's only going to be useful for this year. In 2023, it, it, it won't be useful, maybe. It's going to be things that will have changed. So although it's truth now, it won't be truth in 2023, will it? And it reminded me of the fact that there is a book of trust, you know, a guidebook for all humans from anywhere, from any time, from any culture, race or creed. And we know what that book is, don't we? Yeah. So here it is, the book of trust. It never goes out of date. It's always relevant. It never needs updating. And this is the place I go for wisdom. It's the place where I go to when I need to build my trust. There are two words in the New Testament that they use for the word. Because as a child, I grew up in an open brethren fellowship and we thought the word of this was the word of God. And then rather Mr. Shattuck said, in the word, you know, we knew what he meant. You know, and if he said, Is it in the word, brother? We'd know what he meant. Is it in the scriptures? And uh, so he's very much in tune with one of these New Testament words for word, logos. Logos is this word that is when I was a child was called the written word of God. But it's much deeper than that. It's about an eternal truth, a never-changing truth. It's about truth. It's about trust. And so, you know, when something in the... Uh, I was an archaeologist, and my specialist was the Near East, the proto-urban, urban, and the Neolithic and stuff like that. And what I learned, one of the things I learned was that when Hammurabi wanted to make sure something was definite, then he wrote in stone. He wrote a stele, carved. And these steles were sent out all over Assyria. And God did the same with Moses. He wrote the Ten Commandments in stone. There's a permanency that this truth, this logos, is an eternal truth. It will be as true today as it is tomorrow, as it was a thousand years ago. And the the Bible's got this kind of sense. But also, uh, another word for word in the Bible is rima. And this is like a more uh, transient word. It's literally breath. And uh, so the Bible's full of God-breathed moments where God's breath passes on truth and wisdom. 
And uh, so, to the Jews, wisdom and truth was almost like a person. And you see this in Proverbs. In Proverbs, throughout the book of Proverbs, you're comparing foolishness and wisdom. And they're both people. So wisdom is a woman. Um, It's translated in the female. But the the Jewish people grew up sensing that this was a part of God's spirit. The God was this breathing truth, this wisdom. But the Greeks, on the other hand, people like Pythagoras, that's what Pythagoras looked like, according to somebody. Um, to the Greeks, wisdom was like an impersonal logic. One plus one is always going to be one plus one. But it's not friendly. It's not personal. Uh, and life was full of these impersonal truths. Uh, but it was almost like a force as well, an impersonal force, this sense of logic and wisdom. And then along came a guy called John, one of Jesus' best friends. And he's invited by all the people who knew uh, John to write a gospel. Because John's getting really getting old and all the other disciples have died off. And um, he's the last living witness And so they're saying, John, we need you to write your final witness. Put it down before you die and we lose it all. And he starts his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the word, Logos. And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. And he's very definite about using that Logos that definite, permanent, unchanging truth. That in the beginning was this truth. And this truth was God. And this truth was God. But if you read on, it's not an impersonal logic. We read, the next line is, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has not been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And so John takes this logos, this impersonal, solid, unchanging, written, hard truth. But he presents it as living flesh. A person who you could talk to. In other words, a rima. And so to the Jews, Jesus reveals that this wisdom person in Proverbs was in fact Jesus. And to the Greeks, instead of it being an illogical, impersonal, hard force that moves through the, through the generations, wisdom is actually a person. A personal person who you could know. And you could receive and sit at the feet of this person called Jesus and receive their wisdom. That's quite awesome, isn't it? So, oh look, I'm running ahead of my notes even. Though. So, um, so, we've got this um, Jesus and he seems to hold together this logos in him. He is the Logos. 
He holds it in him as he, as he walks on the earth. He holds this incredible eternal truth in him. And yet he gives out the rima, what you might call the living word. And of course, this is all recorded in our wonderful book. This is full, crammed, rammed, stuffed, full of the things that God says are true and what he said to people. And the truth that Jesus spoke out, like in the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount. And yet also the living word, when he speaks to that person, see, walk, live. That creative power, that Rima power coming out of him. And so, you know, this book is good. Really, really good. It's like no other book in the world it contains truth, logos, and Rima moments. Even the bits we don't understand are good. Even the bits that seem irrelevant are good. So Paul writes to Timothy, that's me, all scripture is God-breathed, remed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. It's all it's all good. And because of this, this book is timeless. I don't know if you can, it's a bit small, you might be able to read that. So there, at the moment, there are, two, there are two billion pages on Bible Gateway. So two billion page views on Bible Gateway. Bible Gateway is the most popular website in the world. The U version, which I'm sure lots of you have got on your phones... I've been you know, reading it tonight. I don't ever go through a time of worship without having my U version open with me, just in case the Lord wants to speak to me. It's, it's got 2,759 2, Bible versions in 1,831 1, languages. And last November, it reached 500 million downloads, which is about 1 in 12 of every smartphone in the world. Impressive. There are 93 million Bibles distributed globally every year. And then it also says that, there are, this is, I can believe this one because I've, I've read some of them. There are nine and a half million books about Christianity in print today. That's not books printed, that's actually titles, nine and a half million titles in print. How many have gone out of print? And as a result, a third of the world claim they follow Jesus. It's the biggest following of anybody in the world, more than Chelsea. Um, all that bloke who's playing golf, what's his name? <laughs> yeah, so um, this book is remarkable, isn't it? It's a remarkable book. And the amazing thing about this book is you're here tonight because of this book. You wouldn't have come through those doors without this book existing. You're here because of this, this book.
And um, so I was wondering, if this book is so awesome to you, and so precious to you, I was wondering if you could just turn around and chat with the person next to you about a significant passage from the Bible. It could be one verse, a bit of a verse, you know, his grace is sufficient for you, me, something like that. Have a little chat. Um, Okay, how did you get on? Sounds like you're really stuck in. And I feel a bit bad about stopping you because I'm sure whatever you're sharing is really powerful and really precious to you. And maybe it's been really beneficial to the person you're talking to. Um, There are some amazing verses in the Bible, aren't there? And um, this one in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you is amazing. Because, well, for lots of reasons, but the other day I was really stressed out and um, and my mum's been taken really ill and uh, uh, she's in a... I really wish things were different for her. It's, it's really sad for my poor mum. And we're doing what we can to care for her. But there's a lot of complexity, isn't there? I mean, some of you have been there through already. You know, you've got to, all of a sudden you have to talk to social workers and fill out forms and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, care plans and all sorts of things. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just wonder if you can just fit it. How can you fit this? Your life is already full and then all of a sudden this other big thing comes in and she, they're like, of course you're going to make room for them, but... Where are you going to put it? I'm sitting there talking to my auntie Sue about something to do with it. And as I looked over her shoulder, on the bookcase behind her, she had a 1 Peter 5, 7 on a picture frame. And I saw it and I thought, now the cast all anxiety on him I'm familiar with. (laughs) But the bit that really struck me was because he cares for you. And it was that bit that really struck me. It's like, I know it, I know it, I know it. You know, don't, it's not like I didn't know it. <laughs> it's just for that moment, that was the Rima word of God. God himself speaking to me and just calming my heart. I care for you. Don't worry, be a pain. Cast all your anxieties onto me. Bother me, because I care. I've built, me and Megs have built our lives on Proverbs 3, 5, 6. Uh, Meg came from a different uh, Brethren Fellowship, but it must have been a, a kid's thing um, in the Brethren. But this, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. It's like a foundation block of our lives. It's an unchanging truth that if you do that, that will happen. And it's a thing with the young people I just continually say. And I, over... You know, after doing youth work for over 36 years now, I've got look back and I can see people who've done this and people who haven't done this, and I can see the difference. It's an unchanging truth. God's word is powerful, and yet it's not just a truth that's in a stuffy book. It's a living, reamer word. Uh, and there's... It's not, you know, here's some other ones. My grace is sufficient for you. How many of you have been carried along by that? You know, this is the promise of God. We have 
uh, I can't read it myself now. <laughs> this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything in his will, he hears us. And there are times when you're praying for a loved one to come to faith and you know you're praying in his will. It's a truth. But there'll be other times when that verse is really, really impacting you. Um, but there are other ways in which God breathes on us. Sometimes it's through the words of a worship song. Sometimes it's through the words of a preacher. I remember driving across the desert in Oman. Um, featureless thing is like nothing for hours. And the only thing we got to entertain us is the cassette recorder in the car. And we found some random tape. And it was this guy, I still don't know his name, preaching on the grace of God. We listened to it for hours in this car. And, and the one phrase I remember is, the grace of God is the power of God to enable you to be all that God has called you to be and to do all he has called you to do. That's after four hours I got out of the car. That's what I had in my head. That is what the Lord had planted into me. The grace is the power of God to do all that he's called you to do and to be all that he's called you to be. And that was a word we needed at the time. We were going to be going off and doing something um, interesting. <laughs> Blessed be your name is a song that is really powerful to me because my dad was killed in a road accident. And uh, that particular second line was very, very moving for me for a number of years. It was very hard for me to even sing it. But I knew that that was, you know, I had to give my dad up to God. Waymaker, I didn't, hadn't heard of Waymaker, but I was praying, we, we were looking, we wanted to, needed to buy a house, we couldn't buy a house because we never had bought a house, we were in our 50s, how can you buy a house in your 50s? You've been renting all your life and doing stuff like that, nothing behind us. And I remember just, you know, a number of times driving up Dover's Hill going, Lord, if there's a way, make a way. I know you can make a way. Make a way. And then I go to this conference a few months later, and there's a song all about it. <laughs> Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. And we're living in a house that we've bought a few months. You know, God has opened doors. But that was a Rima word where God is just reminding you sometimes of the things that you've prayed. He's reminding you back. And he's saying, I heard. I heard your prayer. Um, so back in the... Um, middle 90s, there was a great outpouring of God's spirit, a huge, amazing moment of grace. And before this moment, it was Graham Kendrick. That was the best it got. And those of you who remember Graham Kendrick. And I remember being really excited about Graham Kendrick, like, you know, even though it was like culturally not my culture. You know, I was like Bob Dylan and Rolling Stones and stuff like that. But, you know, compared to the other choruses, you know, um, and then God did a wonderful thing. And he raised up people like Kevin Prosh and Delirious and Matt Redman and stuff like that. But it was all within a, a, a wonderful move of the Holy Spirit, which completely transformed the worship culture of the church. Even for those churches who didn't like the idea of this move of God, they were singing the songs too. And um, I was... Delirious had only just become Delirious. They'd been cutting edge before that. And me and Megs went down to Southampton to see them. And... Um, I actually found a video of the evening the other night. It was spine-chilling to be there. And um, I remember being in this uh, um, massive crowd. And uh, I was, it was just so awesome. And I was, was singing Revival Town. I don't know if you remember that song. I won't sing it. Um, but it's a really great song. Look it up. And um, I remember just thinking, you know, God, 
when I lived in Weston, I had the most amazing youth group who would have died for this. And all we had was Graham Kendrick. And now I'm here, it's here, and I haven't got a youth group. Because by then we were like elders in a Baptist church in Harefield. And there were no, just a couple of kids. And I was like, God, what's going on? And I found myself praying for Weston Supermare. It was a, it was a, at the time it was a dire place. The churches were like at each other's throats. and the, the, yeah, It was just awful. And um, my friend kept phoning me up to complaining how bad Weston was. <laughs> the churches in Weston were. And God just, I began singing Revival Town over Weston Supermare. And, um, and over that period of time, God brought up a whole bunch of different verses and passages that led us to thinking after a while, hey, maybe God wants us to go back to Weston. And we ended up planting this, you know, with some other friends, a youth church called Acts 2. And for a long time, we, we met in this place, this YMCA in Weston, and it was a dire cave of a place. And the acoustics were awful. And the only way we could get over the acoustics was to turn the amps up really loud. <clears throat> And um, so we'd have like, a, it's in a sort of a druggy area, Western, and you get people opening their doors, just sit, windows and sitting on the windowsills so they could hear us as we were like worshipping and breaking the chains and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's fantastic. And I remember about 10 years into the project and I'm squeezed up against the wall, this like condensation running down the wall and stuff, you know, squeezed against the wall because there's so many people in. And I'm looking around and I realise half of the kids in this youth church I don't know. I was like, literally, where do they come from? Where do they, all these kids come from? Because by then we'd like led people to the Lord. They were then discipling their friends. We're then discipling their friends. We're then discipling their friends. So we were like, as leaders, we're losing touch with the, the really raggedy front line. It was, it's really exciting. And I was just sitting there going, where do all these kids from? And then all of a sudden this verse, which had been a powerful mover for us to move to Western, popped into my mind. Then you'll say in your heart, who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left all alone. But these, where have they come from? And I was taken back to Revival Town in the middle of a crowd going, I don't have a young I don't have a youth work. <laughs> you know, where, but this is here. And God, God heard those cries and he heard the prayer. That is... Oh, and sometimes God's rhema word, you know when it says all scripture is useful? Well, okay, so now I'm sitting in bed with Megs, and um, I've been made redundant. We've been to, we've been to uh, visit my friend in Turkey, who's inviting us to come and work in a school um, as teachers there. Uh, uh, and I'm really excited about the whole idea, because he's my best friend. And... Um, his mum's got no idea that this is happening. She's back in England. But she's really worried about my friend Ewan. She thinks he's getting burnt out and his team's not very helpful. And as she's praying, this verse comes to mind. And um, she sends me this verse. But we're, we're sat in bed going, Lord, we really need to hear you. This is a big move, taking our family to Turkey you know, and, and we had lots of other things that we encouraged. I'd love to tell you the whole story because it's fantastic. But we were like, oh, what is it, Lord? You know, you know. And then I got the ping on my te- text message, I think it was. And Peggy sent this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So that I too may be cheered by news of you. 
for I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. And it was like, whoa! <laughs> now, any other time I've read that passage, or you've read that passage, it would be like an irrelevant piece. What's, that for, you know, what's the point of that? But every piece of the word of God is God-breathed and useful. He's really useful. I like this one. Hebrews 6.19. And this is like where we're really going to hunker down. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Sure and strong, it enters behind the curtain in the most holy place in heaven. And this is all about the promise that God gave to Abraham. And because God made the promise, that promise is certain and sure. And God is in the holy of holies, holding on to that promise, like it's an anchor. And the humankind, the human race, those who believe in Jesus are attached to this anchor chain. So it's in the now and the not yet. We haven't seen it yet, but we have the hope. It's sure and certain. That's what it meant when Paul, well, we think it was Paul, wrote it. Do we still think it was Paul who wrote it? Some do. <laughs> the thing about an anchor, though, is you don't see an anchor. When, when it's doing its job, you don't see it, do you? It's under the water. It's buried deep into the seabed. But what you do is you feel it's tugging. You feel the effect of it. You f- know it's holding its ground. It keeps you stable. So... In the fun times, when life seems easy, an anchor stops you from drifting off unconsciously. Yeah, asleep on the boat, you still need an anchor. When times are choppy, that anchor keeps you, you know, reassures you that things are going to be okay. But then there are the storms. And in the storms, the anchor saves your life. It saves your soul. And this is where Ed's going to get cross with me when he listens. If you do listen, Ed. (laughs) Because I'm going to treat this as a reamer. I was sat over there where Sharon is at the moment a few months ago, and I was thinking about this passage. And all I could think about was like the Lord was just reminding me of all these different times when the Lord had used scriptures and words and prophecies and words from songs to anchor me, to anchor me, to prevent me from drifting off, to prevent me from being wrecked. Um. A lot of the verses that we've looked at, and I'm sure that you talked about, often talk about God's character. Right, so the example I was Philippians, isn't it? Cast your anxieties on God because he, he cares for you. I imagine, I'm pretty sure, most of the passages that you shared with each other were about God's character, who God is. And I believe that this, what God wants to do to you tonight is to remind you about these passages in your life that maybe 
you've forgotten. The ones that were infused with this Rima power, this immediacy, this personal relationship, that personal promise that God has spoken to you throughout your life or at moments in your life. I just want you to imagine these promises as these anchors. They're rooted in the holy place where God dwells and he holds them firm. They weren't just twee, warm, fuzzy, transient, empty Facebook memes. On Wednesday, Phil was reminding us that, well, actually telling us for the first time, that him and Hermie had this sense that while they're here at Camden, they were going to plant three churches. And they've only planted two. But those of you who come along to the meetings would know that we're actually in the process of planting another church in Stowe. We're on the way. What God spoke to Phil and Hermie is coming to be. It's, and it's something you've held on to, isn't it, Phil? There's another church. We've only got two. There's another one to come. Um, like I say, these promises are held by the hand of God for you behind the curtain. He has thrown them out to you. But he's, held the, he's holding the end of it. It wouldn't be much point, is it, if someone was like drowning and you threw them at the rope, but you threw them both ends. It wouldn't be useful. Here's a rope. If you throw somebody a rope, you hold on to the end of it, don't you? You anchor them. These passages that God has put in your lives, and I don't know what they are, and I'm praying right now the Holy Spirit's reminding you of what they are. They're marker stones. They're celebration stones. They're memorial stones. They've been set up in your life reminding you of his goodness, his faithfulness. His miracle work in love for you. And because he holds them, they are certain. Because he holds them, they are certain. So, what is God's word for you today? Do you need a new one for right now? Don't worry, ask. Seek. Knock. Is there a word you thought you had forgotten, but it's been nagging again at the back of your mind? What was that all about? Why didn't it happen? Maybe I heard it wrong. Or maybe God wants to remind you of his goodness in the past to prepare you for something in the future. Is this a now time? Is this a time when the heavens are open? But what are you putting in? A wise man said, (laughs) you can't take it out if you haven't put it in. Now looking around, I can see all of you here are mature believers in Christ. You've all been putting stuff in. There's stuff that God can pull out. Ready. 
But let's put more stuff in. Let's feed ourselves. Let's put more stuff in the jar. Let's make more deposits of hope. Or is it time to hope again today? Time to trust again today? Trying to believe again? Remember, these are promises held by the hand of God for you behind the curtain. He has thrown them out to you to keep you anchored. They have come when you most needed them and when you didn't know you were going to need them. They are marker stones, celebration stones, memorial stones set up in your life reminding you of his goodness, his faithfulness, his miracle-working love for you. And because they're held by his hand, not yours, he won't let go. Every promise is yes and amen in Jesus. Every promise is yes and amen in Jesus.